This is Very Public Affairs, the podcast of the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Here's your host, Wayne Burns. Welcome to Very Public Affairs. I'm Wayne Burns and thank you for joining me. In this episode, we'll talk to the leader of one of Asia-Pacific's leading think tanks about why large sections of the community, including the voting public, are disengaged with political discourse and why many members of parliaments all over the nation seem increasingly allergic to evidence-based policy development. John Daly is a former McKinsey & Company consultant, lawyer, senior public servant, and for the past nine years, chief executive of independent policy think tank, the Grattan Institute. He says part of the reason for the malaise in trust of governments and the political process can be slated home to our elected officials, over-promising and under-delivering. He spoke to us in Sydney after delivering a keynote address to the Centre's annual Head of Function and Senior Practitioner Dinner. Uh, so I think there's a number of things driving that fall in public trust. Um, one issue is that governments have now a very established track record of over-promising and under-delivering. That doesn't help. Uh, you've got a series of um, emblematic issues that the public interest is not being served at the expense of politicians' interests. So things like um, misuse of parliamentary entitlements. Then I think you've got a series of things which are making the public nervous, that politicians are making decisions uh, for a few big big interests as opposed to in the public interest. So I think particularly the concern about donations, uh, the rapid rise of lobbying, um, which is a much larger scale today than it used to be, uh, and a series of decisions um, where I think there's been this big gap opened out between what... Um, appears to be in the public interest, uh, certainly uh, appears to be a majority opinion, but is not what happens. Uh, and I think there's a number of issues that fall into that category. So I think you put all of those things together and you get a decline in public trust. And it's worth remembering, you know, this is a decline in public trust that we are seeing around the world. Now, one theory is that um, precisely because political parties are becoming less ideologically driven, um, they don't have a kind of that, that anchor of values of their ideology and consequently they wind up being much more susceptible to special interests. And so there's a theory that that's what's driving this fall in public trust around, in governments around the world is essentially around the world we've got less coherent political ideologies, governments more influenced by special interests uh, and um, people therefore perceiving that government's not being run in the public interest. Parties have always yelled and screamed at each other and they've always disagreed with each other about quite fundamental um, policy issues. It's worth remembering, for example, we don't have much of a debate in Australia about free trade. If you go back even 25 years ago, that was a very vigorous debate. And, of course, if you go back to Federation, it was an enormous debate. Um, So, uh, you know, there have always been debates. I think one of the issues is that we have seen less in the way of high-quality policy development people really pulling apart the problem, explaining it and so on, uh, before it it kind of, we we kind of jumped to the solution too fast, before we've really understood the problem, really understood the options uh, and seen how they um, line up against each other. I think the other thing that's going on is that politicians um, are jumping to the answer, but they're also not taking very seriously the fact that they are leaders. I think that many of them um, are taking the view that they are the leaders of their people and they follow wherever their people lead them. Uh, Whereas there's very good evidence that that politicians can be very effective in shifting public opinion if they set out to do that. I think it'd be fair to say that fewer politicians in recent times have actually set out with that express intention of saying, I understand that that the public thinks X and I'm going to try and explain to them why that's not the right way to think about the problem and really they should think Y. 
and you certainly you listen to the people who talk about the history of Paul Keating. He was passionate about um, essentially trying to educate the public about what he was doing and why he thought it was a good idea, including when they disagreed with him. In fact, particularly when they disagreed with him. There's some brilliant work that's been done in the US that shows that um, people's opinions about an issue are genuinely swayed by whatever happens to be the opinion of whoever happens to be their local member. And so I think that can make a difference, but I don't think our politicians have done as much of it. I think there's been a lot of talking to talking points. Uh, and one of the, you know, you are never going to convince anyone of anything if you just sit there sticking to talking points. You have to flow, go with the flow of the questions. You have to go with whatever is of interest to your questioner, because by definition, pretty much it's going to be of interest to your listeners. Um, and so I think that um, we need to get if we need to get back to a world in which politicians actually do some of the time try and shift public opinion, and that's by engaging in the debate. We also asked John Daly about what evidence there is that economic issues have been driving large swathes of the community away from the large established political parties in Australia and into the arms of minor populist parties, some of them highly nationalist. And if this in some way mirrors what has been occurring internationally with support for Brexit in the UK rising anti-capitalist and national sentiment in Hungary, Italy and Poland, and significant support for the type of economic nationalism championed by President Trump in the US. And if this in some way mirrors what has been occurring internationally, with support for Brexit in the UK, rising anti-capitalist and national sentiment in Hungary, Italy and Poland, and significant support for the type of economic nationalism championed in the US by President Trump. So we don't think it's being driven materially by economic issues at all. Um, there's a number of problems with that theory. Of course, the economic theory sort of works in America. The time that you've seen this happen is a time that um, inequality's gone up, real incomes have been pretty flat for a long time, and the same was true of the Brexit vote. But in Australia, the big jump in the minor party vote happened in 2013, which was, um, in fact, at the end of a three- or four-year period of extremely strong income growth, and obviously in Perth and and WA and Queensland, but also, as it so turns out, in New South Wales and Victoria and elsewhere as well. Um, uh, so that's one reason for being sceptical that this is all about economics. Another reason for being sceptical is that income inequality in Australia, in fact, unlike the US, has not materially changed over the last 13 or 14 years. Essentially, all of the boats have risen by, you know, in the order of about 25%. Thirdly, um, when we look at what minor parties talk about, they're just not very interested in economic issues. You've got to dig really hard in their policies to, to find economic issues. And then when you look at the attitudes of their voters, they're not particularly distinguished by their attitudes towards economic issues. Instead, the things that distinguish minor party voters, the things that, that where they're quite different from the attitudes of, of, parties, of voters for, for major parties, uh, they tend to have much lower levels of trust in government and to some extent they are more hostile to migration, although those are actually two quite different phenomena and, and by no means um, everyone in one group is in the other. Um, and then when you look at what minor parties talk about, some of them, but by no means all of them, talk about migration. Uh, all of them talk about trust in government. All of them talk about the way that... Um, uh, uh, major parties are not governing in the public interest, that the system is too rigged for big interests, all of those kind of issues which are, we think, precisely the buttons that are, you would press if you were trying to, to talk to people who have falling trust in government. John Daly argues that rising distrust in corporations in Australia is related closely to mistrust in other institutions, including governments. 
and he believes that it's going to be a tough gig for corporate public affairs practitioners to rebuild trust for their companies in the community. It's worth remembering that this fall in public trust in government is very closely correlated with falling trust in uh, corporates, large corporates in particular, and that again is a phenomenon that's around the world, not just Australia. Um, we think that they're linked. We think that one of the reasons that public trust is falling is this perception that, gov- that governments are making decisions in favour of large interests too much of the time, contrary to the public interest. Uh, and um, one of the issues for corporates is that many of them try to deal with this by saying, what we are arguing for is in the public interest. By the way, it happens to be in our corporate self-interest, but it's nevertheless in the public interest. And, of course, that might be true. But it's never going to get people to trust you. Um, you know, the public are pretty good at sniffing out self-interest and pretty sceptical about being told, trust us, it's in our public interest, it's in our interest, but it also just happens to be in the public interest. My guess is that corporate, uh, public trust in corporates only really goes up when they argue for things that are not in their self-interest and even more so when they at least appear to be contrary to their self-interest. So... I think that that is an important issue, particularly for people in corporate affairs, to think through. You are not going to rebuild public trust, essentially talking your own book. Um, You might build public trust talking about other things, and you'll definitely build public trust um, if you talk about things as saying, look, we understand that this is not really going to help us. In fact, it's probably going to hurt us, but we can see why it's in the public interest, and therefore we think that there ought to be change. You're listening to Very Public Affairs, the regular podcast of the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. The Centre is a membership by company organisation comprising 150 member corporations across Asia Pacific. We work with our members to disseminate international best practice on managing corporate public affairs. And we offer and deliver professional development to public affairs practitioners globally, including via our online learning platform. The Centre also conducts research into managing the function. Follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn or visit us at www.accpa.com.au or download the Centre's app, which is available both on iTunes and Google Play. Welcome back. We've been speaking to the Grattan Institute's John Daly about community disengagement with government and politics in Australia, Europe and the US. We asked him if advocating for public policy in the national interest for the good of the whole nation and not only for sectional interest was cutting the mustard anymore with voters. So uh, one of the really interesting things is that every argument in public discourse is framed in terms of the national interest or public interest. You don't go to Canberra and lobby and say, this will be good for my company. You go to Canberra and you lobby and you say, this will be in the public interest. And by the way, yes, it's true that it happens to be good for my corporate. That's entirely coincidental. Now, I note you don't actually see someone lobbying for something that is contrary to their public interest, to their own personal interest very often. But anyway, uh, and, and it's implausible that those things are correlated as often as they seem to be in people's uh, um, uh, claims. But nevertheless, um, they always use the language of the public interest. So in a funny way, that's, help, that's hopeful and helpful. Um, If we still have a society in which we accept that that's what we're trying to do and that you have to argue in those terms, then we have a fighting chance. 
Uh, and you have increasing numbers of think tanks like my own, the Grattan Institute, you know, certainly set up to try and represent the public interest and they certainly seem to have a lo- louder voice in public debate today than they did, say, 10 years ago. Um, and I think you're also starting to see, ironically, when the government has got legislation before the Senate to essentially make life much more difficult for those arguing in the public interest, I think you're seeing an enormous public backlash starting to, starting to, to build against attempts to muzzle those voices um, on arguing for the public interest. So I, I think that there's, there's hope for the public interest. We're certainly all still talking about it. Occasionally we genuinely make decisions for that purpose uh, and let's hope we do more of it in the future. And finally, what keeps the leader of an independent think tank awake at night? While the US, the UK, France and Germany are home to scores of think tanks, Australia has relatively few, perhaps because of the smaller scale of its population. Although it is noteworthy that the number of think tanks have increased markedly over the past decade, as has their voice in public policy debate in Australia. So what does John Daly see as the biggest challenge to leading a think tank in the Asia-Pacific? So the most challenging issue in terms of what what keeps me awake at night is um, think tanks have pretty small resources. Uh, And uh, they're trying to represent the public interest, which, as we've been saying, often has very few friends. Um, uh, Many of the not-for-profit groups have stopped um, arguing publicly much because they now um, get a lot of their revenue from government because they're effectively delivering government services. Um, uh, Academic incentives have been skewed towards referee journal articles rather than public uh, public debate, and so there are fewer academics prominent in public debate than there used to be. Journalism, of course, doesn't have the resources to do this stuff much, any, as much as it did in the past um, with, the, with the challenges that we've seen to uh, the print media. Uh, and so there's effectively been a, a gap, and I think think tanks have moved into that gap. Someone has to represent the public interest. The thing that, that makes my life difficult is the, the public interest is a big thing. There's literally millions of issues that you could be dealing with, and the reality is... Grattan is probably one of the country's largest think tanks that employs a grand total of 30 people. Uh, so we can't deal with all of the issues that are currently one way or another governments are deciding on. And the hardest thing for me is to decide where will we spend those scarce resources um, so that they make the most difference. And then the other thing, of course, that keeps me awake at night is, well, how do I try and find some more resources that I can deploy towards um, uh, advocating for the public interest? Um, None of that kind of analysis comes cheap. Um, uh, It takes time. It takes people with genuine expertise. uh, And so any think tank is always trying to find ways to keep finding resources to do the work um, that it does. Because apart from anything else, think tanks can't get paid for what they do. The minute you take a paid um, uh, consulting gig, your independence is shot. Your claim that you're representing the public interest is transparently not going to fly anymore. And in that world, um, you know, the very purpose of being there doesn't work. Uh, so you can't be remunerated in that way. The very the the, the 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 most you can do is is hope that there will be some corporates who are prepared to come on board, support a think tank, generally, or philanthropists who are prepared to think support a think tank, um, because they believe that representing the public interest uh, is something worth doing. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Very Public Affairs. We'll be back soon with another episode to inform your work as a public affairs practitioner. I'm Wayne Burns. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode of Very Public Affairs, subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. For more, visit the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs website 
at www.accpa.com.au.